what what I was doing. Oh my! I know what I was doing. Thing. I found myself on Oliver Stone's Wikipedia page. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> the Doors movie will do that to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's pretty funny, man. Um, just doing research for this, and you know, just trying to refresh and all that, and uh, <laughs> finding. Uh, I found like some posts about like the highlights of like all Robbie Krieger's like criticisms. He's like, that never happened. You know, he never stood on top of a car in the middle of sunset and yelled out to a crowd of people that he's the lizard King. They're like, what the, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, Yeah, I don't know. You know, I did like the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. but I, I think you, I think, I think like a lot of things that are, you know, based on a true story. I just don't think, I think you have to go into it thinking, okay, this is going to be like someone retelling this story who heard it from someone who heard it from someone who knew someone who heard it from someone who was there. Yeah. And (laughs) and in the most fantastic way possible. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. It's like a game of telephone that got out of control, but that's okay because you know, it's still entertaining to watch. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I mean like, and that's, I guess that's the thing that like will bug people in the terms of like accuracy, but like, it is like, it has all the roundabout, you know, themes of like <laughs> how their story, you know, went for the most part. But yeah, there's just little things that it gets hung up on where it's like, eh, it wasn't really like that, but yeah, that's just, I don't know. I mean, I guess I've never taken those movies super seriously when it says based on a true story. Cause it's like, well, you could say that like on maybe even like science fiction, like most stuff I'm like, well, this is based on a true story. Like I just changed, you know, everything about it, but thematically it's the same, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or whatever, but I just never take those super seriously. But I, I will say that Val, Val Kilmer does a, a good job. Like, you know, he, like the, the resemblance, you know, maybe some of his attitude and stuff was off, you know, whatever, but that's probably directing too. He's just the actor at the end of the day. But uh, yeah, but he did a pretty good job. But anyway, yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. But yeah, that's a that's a crazy movie. <laughs> yeah, I was, well, I'd, I'd fin- I finished up like I don't know ten minutes ago, and I was kind of like looking over some of this Doors stuff um, last minute, and then I saw those texts, and I was like, <laughs> man, I want to learn about Oliver Stone real quick. <laughs> Yeah, what? When did that movie come out? Ah, oh, hell, man! I just I just closed out of it. Oh, I think. Oh, sorry. I think, <laughs> the only reason why I asked is because I thought you still had it. <laughs> no, I think it was nineteen ninety ninety one. Ninety one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So. But that that other movie that came out um, a few years ago, um, when you're strange or whatever, it's the yeah. documentary. Um, I think Johnny Depp narrates it. Um, that one I think only uses real footage, like footage that was actually captured at the at the moments of like at any time, but just a collection of whatever they had. That one's pretty right. good. That, yeah. that one's cool because um, they they give really big breakdowns or good breakdowns of like the pivotal moments or whatever. It's not just like yeah, I don't know because like you watch that movie and you would think like I just remember one part is like when the soft soft parade comes out like in the stone in the Oliver Stone version like there's just like this moment they don't even stay on the album period very long but they like just rag on it like there's only this one moment where they i think the band overhears fans in the crowd saying like yeah that album's weak or like <laughs> or like something like that and like that's it and it's like i don't know 
it's just you try and think about like if that was your first exposure to the doors you're like well i'm gonna stay away from that album like <laughs> <laughs> but that's a pretty good one but yeah i don't know they're such an interesting interesting group like like i i think we've we've brought this up at least once or twice in 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 on the podcast before but like i just feel like rayman zarek like, like the musician like the musicianship of that band doesn't get always get enough credit and like it's phenomenal like i don't know like i, I know a lot of some people are like hot or cold on like jim morrison and and how you know uh um, great of an artist he was or great of a, a, a singer or a lyricist whatever like because i know he had his haters you know like i know like david crosby like, hated him like <laughs> even even in modern days i remember he like sent out a tweet randomly like it was like 10 years ago or something he was like didn't like him now and i still think you know his voice was you know not good or like (laughs) i always had something to say but uh but man you know i listened to the the broken record um podcast the rick rubin one he did a episode with uh uh krieger and, and john dinsmore and uh yeah it was really interesting to hear um their insight and I don't know, just their feedback about like the early days and like how he was really just like, just poetic, just a poet, you know, just had all this stuff and he loved, he loved music. And I I think the first like few tracks of their first album or the first few tracks that they worked on were just like poems he had like put together and was singing to them in the timing that he had just learned from a concert or heard, like soaked it up, you know, just couldn't get that, you know, rhythm out of his head and just started writing to it. Um, but it was really Rayman Zarek that, you know, formed him, that helped, you know, support him and, uh, take, take those ideas to length, you know, actually, you know, work them out. Um, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's, we can start there, I guess. Um, but I just feel like Ray, Ray is just a phenomenal musician and, and I don't know if you, if you're a Doors fan and you're not including him and you're like, <laughs> in the commentary it's like eh. yeah <laughs> not paying attention enough. <laughs> no I, I agree and yeah it is it is kind of interesting because um you know first off just to just to go back to david crosby briefly um, <laughs> i remember when he sent that out and i like i remember giving him like among my friends giving him a hard time like yeah i've been sober for 20 years now and i still hate that guy you know like <laughs> Like, I'm still not letting it go. Just, just <laughs> pissing on the graves of the dead. Um, but, um, but uh, just by the way, as high as as a as an aside, every like interaction that I've ever heard of heard a retelling of where someone interacting with David Crosby in the '60s and '70s have been, have been like, yeah, David Crosby was an asshole, and, and so. <laughs> It's one of those, like, it's elementary school. Like, if you think everyone else is an asshole, maybe you should reconsider your own point of view. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, like that that, uh, that saying, like, if you meet an asshole in the morning, then that guy was an asshole. But if you meet assholes all day, then you're probably the asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it the dynamic, and I, you know, in kind of um, – refreshing my memory because I, I, I went through a really heavy doors phase, like my senior year of high school. Mm. Um, and I don't really know what brought it about, but you know, for like three or four months, that's like all I listened to. And, um, 
you know, I didn't in rereading about it and kind of getting prepared for today. It was interesting the dynamic between Ray Manzarek and Jim Morrison. I mean, it's it's got. I mean, you know, Jim Morrison was almost like, um, you know, Bob Dylan or or John Lennon without the ability to really play the guitar, I guess. Mm, uh, but sure. just someone who I think was very introspective and very good at articulating complex thoughts. Yeah. Um, and then you had Ray Manzarek, who appears to be this sort of like virtuoso of things, who's who's like part Paul McCartney, part George Martin, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who can listen to this, you know, beatnik, long haired dude, just like <laughs> deaf jamming some poetry on the beach in California. <laughs> and, and Ray Manzarek's like, oh, man, I know a great way to make that work. And, you know. <laughs> eight six yeah. time or something like that yeah thing. and yeah. um I, I mean it really is pretty incredible and i i know that uh john dinsmore especially kind of gets um you know <laughs> i think jim morrison is in the front seat when you're talking about the doors and robbie krieger and ray manzarek i mean you know i think I think even casual Doors fans could name at least one of those two. And then mm -hmm. poor John Dinsmore just kind of gets left in the dust a little bit. But, um, you <laughs> know, that is one that is one other thing I wanted to bring up today is John mm -hmm. Dinsmore. I, I mean, if 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 you haven't listened to the Doors in a while, go back and listen to the drums on those on some yeah. of those tracks. I mean, oh, it, yeah. that dude was good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he was nuts. And 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 him and Ray were trained like at that point they were they were aware of i mean i think ray was a little more on the casual side like maybe not knowing what to do with all the musical knowledge and you know training he did but like dinsmore was geared up like you know all of his heroes were these jazz you know drummers that were just phenomenal and and he was very i don't know i guess at that time you could say cutting edge you know he was very you know, into figuring out, you know, what's next, who, what, what his sound is going to be, um, what the sound is, you know, how to, you know, just, just super into the mix. And then him, him and, um, Krieger also did the, um, um, Maharishi, you know, meditation stuff, um, even prior to the Beatles doing it and it becoming a more, you know, popular fetch thing in their world. But like, you know, theirs wasn't, from a place of like, oh, the Beatles did it, you know, and we're musicians, you know, <laughs> there wasn't any like allegiance to the idea from that. It was much more just self-awareness and, and fulfillment and, and, um, you know, just trying to build a new model of like how to feel or how to, you know, approach things. And, 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 you know, in that interview with Rick Rubin, they talk about that quite a bit and, and they kind of equate to that early period being a a very strong foundation that got them as far as they did as a band, you know, being aware of like, um, of things that can derail them, being able to recenter themselves and not be too thrown off by, you know, Jim being too much of a wild card because most of the band was still very solid. And, um, and yeah, and the fact that Jim was in the position that he was, because if he was the same type of character, but he was fielding what Ray Manzarek did, then it might've been much more up and down, you know, the quality, you know, cause I mean, that's one thing about the doors is the music is always phenomenal, you know, and sometimes the lyricism will get a little cryptic or just weird or random, um, <laughs> especially towards the, the end. Um, but like, you know, 
the music was just always there and and they always felt very secure you know um the musician part um and yeah i mean you just add some spice you know it's like saying like you know you know that chicken is always a good meat but you gotta spice it right it's like you know it's, it's like the 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 musicians will always be good but and then they're missing something they need something to add you know to give it its flavor and that's what jim did you know he was the the weirdness a strangeness <laughs> yeah which was uh not in short supply that's for sure um <laughs> yeah it is it is uh, it it is just so funny. I mean, you know, when and let's oh, let's let's talk about the the base. Um, you know, conventional wisdom with uh, with rock music and pop music, I think, is mm-hmm. that that's how you know bands develop their sound from how the rhythm section interacts with one another, right? Mm-hmm. The drums and the bass and the rhythm guitar, like that, that grouping in the how they play off each other that's how bands get their sound um you know and it's it's not like it's not like that's the only way but that's the foundation right but you know the doors um at least at first um didn't really embrace the bass because ray manzarek could play it all on his on his keyboards and do just Mm -hmm. as well and um you know, I, for a long time, I thought that they just never used a bass. And then a few years ago, why well, say a few, several years ago, I was listening to, uh, Morrison hotel, I think. Mm-hmm. And I could hear something and I'm like, okay, that's a bass. Like the, the keyboards were not good enough at the time to mimic mm-hmm. a bass sound that yeah, well, yeah. that's a bass. And, you know, so you start looking into it and it turns out that on most of their studio albums, they had bassist studio guys. Um, but they did not, they, they did not use the bass when they played live Mm -hmm. because, you know, live Ray Manzarek was confident that his, his doing his bass lines on his keyboards would be plenty to pull through. And I, I actually listened to the live album yesterday and, uh, you know, I get what he means. I was listening to it and I'm like, oh yeah, okay, well this definitely doesn't have a bass, but it also doesn't feel like it needs one. Mm, Sure. But I do think on the studio albums, I don't, I don't have software or anything to do this. And, um, and, you know, I don't have the masters or anything from the recordings, but I would love to hear the studio albums without those bassists and just see, see how close it comes to sounding like the concerts. Um, Mm -hmm. so that, that was interesting. And I, I just, uh, you know, any, any band that can be as successful as the doors were and as impactful as the doors were, without having a full-time bassist is, is pretty incredible to me. <laughs> yeah. So, no, it's pretty, that's one thing I've always been drawn to. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think, um, they also mentioned, I think in that interview with Rick Rubin <clears throat> that he, he at some point found, I think it was a very early synthesizer or something, but some kind of bass keys and it was, it was rough. And, and, and they, and they said that they would do that. They would use that to build the idea. Like he would definitely still do the part, but if it wasn't good enough, they would bring in a, a bassist. And the only the only bassist I'm actually aware of that they did work with, like for sure, is um, when they did LA Woman. I know uh, the relationship with Jim was, you know, kind of getting like he was kind of pulling away a little bit. And in order to lock it down, because uh, Jim Morrison was a huge Elvis fan, um, they hired um, Elvis's bassist. I'm forgetting his name right now. Um, 
but they brought him in as a hired gun to to help you know sweeten the deal to to get Jim to come in. Because um, I, I will say, out of all of the albums, that is very apparent. Um, the the L.A. Woman, you listen to that, especially the the title track. Like the bass is very very clear, very prominent, and 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 groovy. Like it's very nice. Like it's oh not for just sure. Like, he's just you know filling his parts. Like that dude's going fast. Um, so yeah, that that's the only one I'm aware of when it comes to like the bass. But yeah, that was all always mind blowing to me. Once I started to realize that, once I started to like piece it together, when I would see footage of them playing or Ray playing, I'm like, why is he playing two keyboards? You know, <laughs> like me, like being younger, like, why is he, you know, is he doubling it up? Like what, why, why is he, why would you do that? And then realizing that one's higher and the other one's like way lower and it's bass and, and the lead piano piece. And it's like, wow, that's, that's crazy. Like, I mean, I know pianists do that, but like, you know, normally like on the same board, it was just, you know, that's, that's, that's so cool. But yeah, just, I mean, I know we already touched on this, but yeah, just the musicianship out of all of them is just so, um, so, so good. And, and, and even when they performed, like, I know Jim was like very inconsistent and that caused a lot of strain, <laughs> yeah. but, um, but like, uh, when they did songs like, uh, what was that one song here? I was just looking it up like, um, when they did like unknown soldier like live and they would end it with like this real like you know like dinsmore would just do this rapid like solo thing just going crazy and building all this tension and then uh krieger would like lift up his guitar and then strum at the last beat and then manzarek would like drop his reverb pedal which made this loud like like noise and then it would all like abruptly start stop and then jim would hit the floor and then like that was the end of the set or like whatever <laughs> And it was like, there was so much theatrics and, you know, comfort because they were all very proficient, you know, I guess like, you know, Krieger and, and Morrison were the least experienced, you know, in that group. I think, yeah, I think Krieger yeah. said he was only really a student of the guitar for about six months when he first met them and started learning um, or building songs with them. Um, and, you know, Morrison was just a film student writer. Um and he he went to school with Ray. That's how they knew each other. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just crazy. Like, you know, because I'm a huge Robbie Krieger fan, and like, I mean, I mean, like, you know, almost any of the songs, like his parts are just great. Like, they're not they're not just like just you know just filler. Like, all of them might have this unique uniqueness to them. Where whether it's you know Spanish Caravan or his his little his his stuff on um, Break on Through or or the song he wrote, you know, um, light my fire, um, which is crazy, you know, like super new, super green comes in with their, you know, first number one. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I think the doors are also a really cool story cause they have all this weirdness and strangeness and like, Oh, you know, mysticism, whatever. But there's also just such like regularness to their beginnings or like such, you know, like kind of standard steps to like what anyone would have to do. Like, like to feel like a musician or an artist or whatever like the fact that people look at jim as this like or like <laughs> or how oliver stone made him you know out <laughs> to be this you know eclectic you know uh prophetic you know uh, person who's just always got something to say and he's saying it out loud to everybody and you know um it, you know you might see him like that but it's just so interesting to to retrace those early days when they were really getting their start and that he had no idea, you know, musically how to translate this stuff. It took a lot of work with Ray Manzarek. He had a good friend that was willing to put in the work, you know, Ray. Um, and then once you actually start putting them together, 
he doesn't even sing towards the band in private. You know, it's like he is all nerved up. This is Jim, you know, just like all in his head. And and I mean, that's just like typical. I mean, like, I, I don't know. I just bring that up because it's just always been such an interesting um, um, spectrum to think of his personality and to think like, well, everyone always teeters off to that like extreme side. And they're like, well, yeah, that's Jim Morrison. But you got to remember, like, there's only a few years before that, that he was hyper normal <laughs> or like, yeah. you know, or like his nerves were at a different place. Um, you know, the model of what he built up himself to be, you know, was different. And uh, I don't know. That's just interesting. And you see it in interviews, how they change over time or they don't change. You know, like Ray kind of <laughs> seems to be the same kind of like same kind of person is real, real straightforward, just, you know, very intelligent. Um, you know, like that, like that classic clip where they're the interviewers interviewing them when they're getting out of the airport, and they're like, you know, what's your name and occupation? Robbie Krieger goes and then Dinsmore goes and then Ray Manzarek comes up, sounds almost like a robot, like Ray Manzarek, you know, born 1939, whatever. <laughs> he sounds like a <laughs> robot. And then Jim comes up and he's like barely paying attention and he's like name and occupation. He's like, Jim. And that's all it gives him. <laughs> it's like perfect. That little clip is a great, you know, idea of their personalities. <laughs> yeah. And um, by the way, Jerry Chef was the bassist from the TCB band that played with them. Um, mm, nice. And um, yeah, no, it, it, you're right. I mean, it, you know, it, it is funny because as huge as they ended up being, you're right. Their origin story is pretty, pretty normal. I mean, you know, yeah college age douchebag fancy self poet um kid who was forced to take piano lessons all his life befriends him and then they met this guy who was in a shitty band with his brother and then they meet this drummer who is like incredibly talented and no one remembers his name uh, <laughs> i mean it it really i mean you know i don't i don't know for a fact how many bands you could describe exactly like that but i mean when i think of like if I was making a movie about a band like finding each other and then becoming massively successful, yeah, that's probably how it would. That's that's more <laughs> or less how the plot would pay out, dude. Dude, that that and and it's both the same period and time period and area too. But that that story and uh, you know how Buffalo Springfield kind of came to start. That also is like very like it's almost too Hollywood like or too like oh well it's crazy because you know you have <laughs> Neil Young rocking it up in Canada, uh, with, uh, uh, with Rick James before, <laughs> you know, before he, he was really Rick James. Uh, and then they get a, they get a deal with Motown doesn't go through Motown gives them a budget to buy equipment though. Uh, they sell the equipment, <laughs> come down to California and, you know, on the, and, you know, they're just getting away <laughs> just trying to start, start a new, 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 new plan. Uh, drive down here in a hearse <laughs> and then you know he just knows steven stills and he's like steven stills is somewhere down there and you find him and then <laughs> neil goes down there and literally they're in separate cars going on the same road and the only reason why they notice each other is because he's driving a freaking hearse uh, <laughs> and steven stills notices him and they pull over and and then you know like we should start a band <laughs> crazy <laughs> it's it, it's it's just wild i mean it, it really is but yeah you know the um it, but it is it is cool i mean i i think that those stories like that are what what can give aspiring musicians some form of hope um mm. 
you know, I, I, I wasn't a musician growing up and, and frankly calling myself a musician now is probably an insult to musicians everywhere. But, um, <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, I played a lot of sports and, um, you know, the dream for, for young athletes is always to play in the NBA and NFL, major league baseball, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, but deep down, you know, that that's, probably not going to happen. Um, but you know, you hear those stories, right? You hear Michael Jordan cut by his high school JV team or whatever yeah. <laughs> grows five inches over the summer. And now is, you know, regarded as everybody. the, the best winner <laughs> to, to play. Right. And, um, so I think that those stories and stories like the, the doors that are, are like so normal to almost be boring, I think is what gives people hope. I mean, you know, and, and cause it's not like, I mean, Jim Morrison was from California and kind of was able to live this hippy dippy, whatever lifestyle that he wanted to. So it's not like he was oppressed and had to overcome all of these crazy <laughs> obstacles, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, he, he wasn't like some Delta blues singer in the thirties, right. Whose, whose parents had been sharecroppers. Right. And it, yeah, he, right. He wasn't that, but the normalcy of it and saying, Hey, maybe a guy who grew up in a halfway affluent place really can succeed in this country. You know, I don't, <laughs> or, or it's like, you know, uh, um, um, a semi sheltered, you know, a strange, weird, weirdo can make it as long as he has a friend that's really structured. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> that's, I mean, but really, uh, I mean, it, yeah. and it's, well, um, you it know, is cool that, it worked out. <laughs> that that's an interesting theme to look at in music, um, mu musical duos that work that way in relationship. Like, like the paradigm of like one of them is a little more cryptic, a little more out there, but then the other one is more has a work ethic or a, you know a model of how to get things done. The other one's just more fascinated in like what it, what it is, what it can be, and just what else you know. Like you look at Paul and John, like I think that's what made them so spectacular. As I mean, you, you almost read anything that John wrote outside of <laughs> lyrics, you know, and you're like, what? Well, <laughs> yeah, he's kind of like out there. But it's like, that's what made his writing when he could write with someone that was, you know, keeping him tied to the ground in some ways, <laughs> you know, so spectacular was you, you those you, kind of the extremes to each other when you find that middle. And then, you know, it's the whole left brain, right brain thing. It's like, ah, oh, this is great. You know, there's this order but there's weirdness in this structure. <laughs> and I like, yeah, it. <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. I think if you look at the history of, of music, I mean, you know, the beach boys were kind of that way or got that way where Brian Wilson was um, just, you know, really good at everything. <laughs> very organized, <laughs> very structured. And, you know, I think for him, it became more about structure and finding those things. Whereas the other guys were whatever uh, Pink Floyd, you know, Roger Waters is a big structure guy. And I think mm -hmm. not that Dave, David Gilmore was like obstinate or anything, but I think that he just kind of, he wanted to feel what he feel, uh, feel what he felt and play his guitar and whatever. Whereas Roger Waters was like, well, I'm going to spend, I'm going to spend a year writing my opus and then we're going to record it and it's going to be fantastic. Uh, you know, early Genesis with, um, Peter Gabriel, I mean, Peter Gabriel, really out there, ethereal guy. And then you had the other three members of Genesis who were like, Hey man, will you get in the damn studio for a minute? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and we're not going to do an 80th take of this. <laughs> yeah. 
So I, I do think, I think that that relationship of having the um, maybe more spiritual whatever person paired with the person who enjoys um, the structure of things. Um, and, you know, not, we're still talking about musicians, right? I mean, it's, I don't think any of these guys would feel at home at a boot camp or anything like that. So, I mean, the, the type of structure we're talking about here is uh, maybe not military in nature, but but it certainly is something. And, and um, yeah, I mean, it seems to be a, a winning, um, you know, winning formula for being successful. Um, yeah. But, you know, all of those bands that we that we just named broke up and, and went through some very tumultuous times, at, at, you know, so it's yeah. uh, it might not be the winning formula for sustained success. Um, <laughs> if for that, you got to look at whatever the Rolling Stones are doing. Maybe no one has any structure. Maybe they all have structure. I don't know. But, um, mm. you know, maybe, I think Charlie Watts was the structure there. May he rest in peace. Another great drummer that people tend to overlook. But um mm. Yeah, but but that I I do think I mean it's like a comedy duo, right? You got the straight man and the silly guy, and I I think that that translates to um, to other other industries, including music. Um, so it's it's just cool. I mean, because the, the you know I I guess the point that I'm trying to get to in the most circuitous, least convenient way I can is to say that you know while the doors were um, successful and impactful. And, and really, I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to be the pretentious guys like they changed music forever. Cause that, you know, whatever, <laughs> but, but they had a sound, they did something new, but really their origins and their interactions were very normal. I mean, it, and yeah. that's, I think that's what's so, um, so compelling about a band like the doors. Mm, yeah. Well, and you know what, this, uh, I'm going to bring up Crosby one more time. Um, uh, you know, he, <laughs> the, have you ever, you've seen Echo in the Canyon, right? That oh, documentary yeah. about, yeah. You know, there's that point because they interview him quite a bit during that. And there's that point where he talks about what made the birds music different and why, you know, people were really flocking to it. And cause he said it was poetry. He was like, he's like, when, 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 you know, I forget what line he says on the documentary, but he blurts out a, one, a line from one of the bird songs and it's very poetic, very, you know, beautiful. And he's like, what kind of music was, you know, playing like that? They're all like, you know, bops and, you know, old, you know, old tunes. He's like, they, they didn't sound like that. They weren't, they weren't writing like we were writing. And it's so interesting to hear him make that commentary about like that time in the sixties was, you know, poetry was breaking through in these different ways, but then he's over here ragging. <laughs> <laughs> on on you know one of these people that did strike a chord with a majority of like musician you know of the music audience of you know having a different poetic approach to commentary on life commentary on on love on on who knows what but it was like it was a very poetic expressive way of you know saying things and like and he was like yeah it's crap <laughs> this is so funny because you know here he is trying to champion the idea of music evolving but then at the same time just be like yeah but that's shit you know yeah. it, it, it's definitely got to come from a place of jealousy because i mean you you look at the door or you look at someone like jim and you're like what did he just fall into success look how wild he is they're like no there was a lot of things around him that put him there like these people, like the the band, <laughs> the band is like ninety percent of why he was there, anyways. 
Um, but the, the, I don't know, it, it's just so interesting, but, but, you know, the influence of the doors, it's kind of hard to trace, you know, like nowadays, I think because there, no one wants to completely recreate what they did. Um, and, and if you do, um, you're just going to be labeled probably just like psychedelic rock. Um, because that was the, the that, that they, they emerged in that season when psychedelic rock was, was blooming you know the ideas of of making music weird and alternative to what you were expecting you know it, they were doing that through lyricism they were doing that through structure they were doing that by blending genres they were doing that by um just being odd <laughs> you know and 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 being themselves uh maybe more than uh, maybe their label wanted but it was just things that you know their wildness and their nature i think it, it impressed it onto the music and and it made it very almost hard to pin down what makes it cool what makes it i don't know what makes it so interesting but there are things that are traceable that makes it interesting and it comes from their musicianship it comes from the the foundations of dinsmore and jazz and and latin percussion and being aware and and manzarek being aware of of how to communicate and tool these you know uh, uh genres and 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 textures and themes and and keep it interesting you know um because there's just so many interesting songs by them like <laughs> like their catalog is just riddled with songs that are like wow like th it feels like that that's an audio like adventure like you know like yeah. riders on the storm when the music's over um spanish caravan like man like i love spanish caravan like like his the, like the guitar is is wonderful and then the unexpected electric guitar like when the halfway point or whatever when it just like you know builds up and the, the electric guitar doubles up and gets all like in your face and then the um I, I don't know what uh exact keyboard he's playing but um that real almost circus like tune you know starts going off and it's just it's so intense it's such a like what the hell like <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i don't know it, it's just like almost like every one of their songs they almost it, it feels like when you they they wanted to make it feel not just like i don't want to just say ethereal but like almost like fairy tale like like this is like a story that you're gonna you're gonna witness like they their music really captures to me at least that that feeling of when you like would hear an interesting fairy tale like as a kid when you're like oh the sense of wonder um i don't want to use the word like whimsical or anything like that but like there's this weird like feeling of like of like wow this is like such a uh just an interesting way of uh, of expressing anything like i don't know there's all their music has such an, an interesting energy to it i don't know it's obviously hard for me to pin down on one like signature way to describe it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um it, it is weird and I'll, I'll tell you i'll tell you a funny story um so when I was um, in college, <laughs> I got injured playing uh, like the least competitive league in uh, of intramural softball you could play in, uh, which is pretty typical for my sports career. I, if there's a way to get hurt, I have found it. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I went to the doctor and I, I had torn a uh, ligament in my wrist, in my left wrist. Oh, yeah, yeah, it sucked. Um and I went to the doctor and, you know, they gave me some x-rays and a brace and some other stuff and said it was, wasn't bad enough to require surgery, but was still pretty bad mm -hmm. and all this stuff. So, um, 
but they gave me like a, you know, like a 10 day supply of Percocet or something. Mm. And, um, there was one night in college station when it was raining heavily and I had taken a Percocet cause it was close to bed. Um, and, uh, I was like, Oh man, it's raining. You know what I want to listen to? I want to listen to writers on the storm. <laughs> and, um, the apartment I lived in had a little bitty loft thing upstairs. And I used to, I used to just go lay down there and listen to music. And it was, it was very nice, very peaceful. Mm. And I put it on because I had, um, LA woman on vinyl at the time. Um, mm. and I put it on and put on some, old good over the ear earphones plugged it in and just laid down and you know i'm laying there and this pain pill is like taking over so i'm starting to get really (laughs) relaxed and ready to go to bed and then it's playing riders on the storm while there's a thunderstorm going on and i can admit this now because it's been um you know 12 years or whatever (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I got so scared listening to that song. Like oh, it was yeah. really weird. Like between the the song and the the Percocet and like, <laughs> you know, you don't realize how when you listen to that in very good quality earphones, mm-hmm. it I mean, Jim Morrison's voice sounds like the voice of God from the Old Testament. I mean, well, uh, like a well, vengeful, it- you know, <laughs> spiteful being who wants well, you to be scared. And that's, I mean, like, and, and, uh, you know, out of, out of love or whatever, but, you know, I, and, uh, you know, for like, for like a year, every time I would listen to that song, I would have like 10 seconds of this weird flashback where I would be like, there's a killer on the road. And I would be like, oh my God, where is he? It really is weird. And that, that's something, and I know Riders on the Storm is a very popular song of theirs, um, but it's it's very well mixed. It's very well, um. And, and his vocal mix is actually something that, um, is very impressive, um, for the, I don't, I want to, I don't know if this is bad for me to say, like at the time this was impressive, but he did something that I know people do now every day, all the time to vocals where they, they overdub, they stack it and, and they, you know, they, they alter the, the overdub to, you know, make the, the full vocal track, you know, more full or more dynamic or to cover more space or whatever the right frequency whatever but with that vocal yeah no one thing that makes it an, an edge adds an edge of eeriness to it is you have what you can hear him singing but then he's also whispering it yeah there's a second there's a second vocal of him saying it way lower and almost like a moodier like yeah like version of it and and it's it's perfectly in time with the the, the primary vocal but yeah it definitely adds this like depth of like because it's not an echo it's not a reverb or anything it's just like there's this dual voice you know and and if you look at anything in media that is like in a godlike presence speaking or like whatever that most of the time the effect they use is they double up or they lower the vo- vocal and make it you know more intense so um yeah no it's 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 dynamically that song is really interesting because i think there's this like biological response where you like you hear the rain and you're like oh this is like this is soothing and nice and then you hear that piano seep through leak through and you're like oh what's going on here and then and then they hit you with the lyrics you're like what the hell is happening like (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, you know, if if not for the lyrics, you almost want to listen to the to it on loop when you're trying to fall asleep at night because it's oh, so yeah. soothing. The signs of the sounds of the rain, it, it you know, it has a whiff of of aqueous transmissions <laughs> by yeah. Incubus. You know, just yeah. this kind of like not droning. Droning's not the right word, but just this consistent kind of laid back that that lulls you into this very relaxing rhythm. And yeah, um, yeah, it's. But yeah, man, that I'll never forget that. I mean, it's like because <laughs> it, it, I mean that and, you know, I'm, I'm glad you I'm glad you explained the mechanics of it because I, you know, I've wondered. I'm sure I could have found out. I'm just I never think about it enough when I'm near Google. But, you know, that's what it sounded like. Jim Morrison's voice was somehow coming from like I was hearing it from everything around me, not just the headphones. Yeah. Like the headphones I was getting the music from. Yeah. But Jim Morrison's voice sounded like it was within me and without me just <laughs> surrounding and singing down onto this thing. And um, yeah, I mean, it, that was the, like, I had to, I like, I went back downstairs. Like I, like I finished the song. Cause I'm like, I'm a <laughs> big, I'm a, gr- I'm a grown man. I can listen to a song without getting freaked out. And then, <laughs> And I finished the song and like made sure every door in my house was locked. And I think I put a shotgun under the bed or something. And, you know. and, then, and then of course woke up and took another Percocet. So uh, you know, it all worked. Well, at least he didn't, you know, try to like put your iPod on and like, well, I'll just shuffle the doors. <laughs> get some something else cryptic and weird yeah you know, skip past riders on the on the storm and hear psycho killer by talking heads and just throw my ipod out the window um, <laughs> God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. um but yeah man it, it, i have really enjoyed um over the past few days really getting back into the doors um yeah i as a general rule and I, I think you and I have talked about this before. Um, you know, as a general rule, if you and I are going to be talking one band, I try and listen to as much of that band as I can. Mm, but sure. I am also careful not to exclusively listen to that band because I want, I want, you know, I want other things in my head. So, a, I can <laughs> yeah, comparison and baseline. Um, but also just because, I mean, with with a few exceptions, like the Beatles are an exception. Um, Dave Brubeck is an exception. But, you know, with a few exceptions, I can't just listen to one band over and over, like all the time and yeah. still love them a whole lot. Like, I, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And I think I think that I had been away from the doors for just long enough to where these past few days have been... Um, really 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 fun to get back to it do the deep dive to really listen to read about them and you know like i'm sure i'm annoying the bejesus out of my wife because she'll get home and i'll try a jim morrison impression out on her and it's never very good (laughs) but but it's so fun and it it just um you know i always enjoy preparing um for for these episodes that we do i always enjoy it just because i mean you know like you i'm i'm an audiophile so i love listening and learning about music um yeah but this one is just different because i again i did i mean especially in high school i had a deep 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 doors phase and i would come back to them occasionally and uh, my very good friend donnie veerling shout out to donnie uh wherever you are um 
you know, Donnie went through a doors phase and I, I got back into it with him, but you know, it's really been a long time since I have just listened to a doors album mm. and man, yeah. it was, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, plus I did, I, I mean, I know we talked about this when we did, um, an album review of Delta cream, but I, I did forget that the doors had a version of crawling Kingsnake. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause you remember, well, maybe, and yeah. Cause like when we, when we reviewed the black keys one, I remember mentioning like, yeah, I went back and listened to the Doors version and like that one's like triple the lyrics. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 it's in so much stuff. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's but, cool oh, that, that is one that that's one theme I do want to throw out too that I, I just realized we didn't mention is their their homage or their appreciation of the blues as well. Oh, for sure. Um, big. They're all big bluesmen, but especially Krieger and um, and Morrison. Um because, you know, they, they did like Backdoor Man and some other stuff. Well, of course, like Morrison Hotel and stuff like that. But like, yeah, that, that was a huge, huge influence or or, or music like love. Because there's a lot of pictures of them like backstage with with a lot of blues um, stars, you know, during the 60s, like Albert King and uh, man, there's someone else. But yeah, big, big. Uh, they had a big appreciation, a lot of love for the blues. Um Another thing, oh, another thing I wanted to throw out too is um, just in the same line of thought, which you were just sharing of of, of enjoying going back to their catalog um, uh, again is, um, man, I, I know I shouted out like two of them on that episode when we did the, our favorite album closers, but man, a lot of their albums have great closers. Like, yeah, <laughs> their their albums are really well curated. I, I, I guess that might be on Electra to the side at the time or, or yeah. know, producer, uh, Rothschild. That but is so funny that you mentioned that because I, I thought the same thing and I'm, I'm, I'm going back through right now. Um, cause I just, I have each album just pulled up and, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it is pretty hilarious. Cause even like Maggie McGill on the, on the last uh -huh. track of Morrison hotel is great. You know, the debut album ends with the end, which, uh, I, you know, is probably in the pantheon of, of great closers in rock and roll history, really. Oh, I yeah. mean, well, um, and, then, and then one of my favorite closers, which I think I shouted out on that episode, was when the music's over. Yeah. Because like, Str Strange Days is, I, I feel like not a lot of people talk about that album. Um, that's a really good album. But like, um, when it ends with that song, I was like, woof, that is an ender. You know, like I think we said that in that last, in that episode, we're like, sometimes, you know, you can just tell when that's like the ender, the album end, ending song. It's like, yeah, that's, that's a very clear one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, um, yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's a, it's an underappreciated album. It does have people are strange on it. So that's always a fun, uh, you know, two minute experience, but, uh, <laughs> Oh yeah. Strange days. People are strange. Uh, love me two times. That'd yeah. Great. But yeah, um, but yeah, they're super cool. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I, I, I like, I don't, I know you can't see my little area, but normally I have notes. I actually don't have notes today, which is interesting and i do feel a little bit naked but um <laughs> luckily for for sam i'm not actually naked because we are on camera but uh <laughs> but yeah. uh yeah I, I i tried to make a mental note to bring that up about the closers and i apparently forgot so i'm super glad you brought that up because yeah i mean of, of the six jim morrison albums um you know 
<laughs> really like all of them. I get five to one at the end of Waiting for the Sun. Yeah, that's probably like, my least favorite, but I still like it an awful lot. <laughs> yeah, like I think the Soft Parade ends the Soft Parade, which is okay. Like, but those two are like the the weakest one because I mean, like, and then their last song of all time is "Riders on the Storm." Yeah, like, oh, well, right. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and but that yeah. is, you know, a lot of people I don't think realize that the Doors continued as a band after Jim Morrison died. Oh um, yeah, they released uh, three more albums technically um although yeah, the third was album was basically voices yeah yeah and the the yeah other voices and, um, and then full circle full circle and then the last one was um that's just morrison's poetry i think right um, yeah set set to music but it's yeah it's just his poetry being read um, yeah so it was yeah that one's yeah, called it, it an is, american prayer yeah, uh, yeah, an American prayer. I wanted to say an American priest, and I knew that wasn't right, and so I just like <laughs> held it in. But um, yeah, he probably uh, wouldn't have uh, corrected you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like it's Cunningham's law, right? To get the right answer on the internet, you provide the wrong answer yeah, the wrong and let the answer, masses yeah. correct you. Um, <laughs> well, he he took himself as a shaman, so like yeah. to be called a priest wouldn't be too too well, insulting. There's that too. <laughs> But yeah, man, it was, um, it, it's just been, I, I know, I know we've harped on it, but man, just, just going back through their catalog has been so much fun. I, I mean, it's, it's yeah, not man, quite like hearing it all for the first time again, but it's close. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they're, they're the band that I feel like matches and I don't want, oh God, I feel like this is going to sound so kind of braggy in a way, but like when I make music, I always tell people it's either going to sound like psychedelic rock, it's going to sound like jazz. Or it's going to sound like blues. <laughs> and like, I just realized now it's like, that's the same freaking way I would describe door, the doors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so maybe that's my subconscious passion for me when I make construct my own music is like, you know, use that formula, <laughs> but I'm not thinking that way, but it just always leans into that. And that's why I've always loved them is because of that great blending. Um, whether I knew it or not, now I have more of an educated awareness and ear um, to catch that when I listen to them again, but like, yeah, hell yeah. There's a very strong reason from their music, why I branched off in certain ways, you know, in terms of taste and musical palette or whatever. Um, but yeah, psychedelic blues, jazzy goodness. <laughs> oh yeah. Can't beat it, man. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, this is fun. This was good. Fun, old and we kept it to a pretty reasonable length. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. I was curious how long this one would go, but yeah, I feel like if we do a a, a, a different icon, it might take longer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like Bowie or McCartney or something. Yeah, but it might be Bowie parts one, two, and three. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> well, until then. <laughs> <laughs>